This episode of Security Management Highlights is brought to you by Alert Enterprise. Visit them at alertenterprise.com. While most security teams are focused on preventing malicious outsider attacks, 30% of confirmed breaches today involve insiders. But today's increasingly complex networks across cyber, OT, and physical systems make it difficult for security teams to detect and prevent insider threats. Alert Enterprise Identity Intelligence Technology dramatically reduces the time and cost for detecting and resolving risk by automating threat protection across your enterprise from one place. Advanced machine learning automatically baselines identity profiles, quickly sorting through millions of events to detect behavior anomalies and trends for an effective response to potential malicious behavior and policy violations. To learn how you can turn your data into insights with AI-powered insider threat detection, visit alertenterprise.com. We see many organizations make the step of saying an insider threat program is about watching employees, and it should not be that. An insider threat program is about protecting intellectual property and data and accesses and having the visibility to accomplish those goals. Insider threat could be actually viewed in a different way going forward. Uh, We could use this as an opportunity to think about it as insider care. And what we actually see in practice is that everyone has a moment in which they've created harm in their lives. Everyone has a moment in which they've been treated as less than. But these are universal elements of what it means to be human. All that and much, much more on this month's edition of Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold. John Ford is Managing Director of Mandiant, where he leads their insider threat offerings globally. Prior to joining Mandiant, John served 20 years with the Federal Bureau of Investigation as a cybersecurity executive in the cyber division. John is also a former detective with the Austin Police Department. John Ford, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Well, thank you very much for letting us come today, and, and I really look forward to talking to you about insider threats. Well, it, it, it is a great topic, and it's so broadly defined If there's an outside threat, in other words, somebody from the outside tries to come in and breach your network or comes in from outside the business, I think of it as an insider threat failure. In other words, the guy that works inside who should have been protecting us, doing his job, checking the network, it kind of all comes down to insider. Really, as an insider, we have to take care of our own house, so to speak. And, you know, that's really a great way of looking at it. you know, my career has spanned almost three decades um, in law enforcement and counterintelligence and counterterrorism. And, you know, one of the challenges that I've seen over time is our, um, our need to categorize um, things, which is quite frankly has challenged us because it doesn't allow us to always, you know, reach across from a, a conceptual perspective or really looking outside the box and how they look. So, Really, when we start stovepiping our thoughts in those, we really don't look at what the holistic problem is. What we like to say is access rules the landscape. Every attacker wants it and every employee has it. And what's really important about that is that really starts bringing it down to the core assets or elements of a good insider threat program, both from an insider threat program and really looking at external adversaries we like to focus on three core elements, access, assets, and visibility. And by looking at this, we can also help define this about what every attacker is really looking at, right? So 
you know, when we start thinking about um, insiders, it's really important for us to not just to consider the traditional thoughts of what we believed insiders have been. You know, uh, an, an insider is either somebody who monetarily has agreed that they're trying to fulfill, and so they're stealing something to monetize. That's, you know, traditionally what we've always thought of. Or we've also thought about the disgruntled employee who's tried to do something nefarious or challenging to an environment, whether that is destroying something, destroying networks, destroying reputation. You know, we've really kind of gone around a couple of paths in that. But what we are seeing today is more that insiders are groups of individuals, less than individuals acting alone. Um, now, this provides additional opportunity to identify them, but because they're so closed, it becomes very challenging to look through all this legitimate traffic and identify who they could be. And this is why intelligence becomes so key to you know, an effective insider threat program to help identify those individuals who are trying to enable access, um, as well as those who have access to uh, do some kind of harm or steal some type of IP or whatever their, you know, their follow-on actions are going to be. Now, you said something brilliant to me. The bad guys do not define threats. They just dream them up and, uh, and initiate, right? So if we're defining an insider threat as A, but an outside actor comes in to en enlist me as an employee unknowingly, in the plot, is that insider or an outside threat? This this is a big challenge. It can become a, a significant challenge, right? Um, and this is why we try to define it not as individuals, right? We don't. We see many organizations make the step of saying an insider threat program is about watching employees, and it should not be that. An insider threat program is about protecting intellectual property and data and accesses and having the visibility to accomplish those goals. And that serves two functions. We see, especially in the espionage world, we do a lot of investigations that have to do with espionage, and it's either enabled access, right? Or they are true Intel operatives that have got into organizations who are stealing intellectual property uh, to benefit a state-sponsored actor. and. But the enabling access has been very interesting because we're not just seeing it in espionage anymore. We're seeing it in ransomware. And we are seeing individuals and groups online recruiting individuals in specific companies trying to enable access to deploy ransomware within organizations so they can circumvent their controls they have within a company. We kind of have the difference between a Trojan horse right, which was an outside threat sneaking in, and then people just walking mm -hmm. in the front door perceived as being not a threat. I always thought that a judicial interview, just asking some questions, being a little curious about what's going on. Uh, hey, John, uh, you know, you got this weird email the other day. Where, where did that come from? Oh, yeah, my cousin Mary sent it to me. She said I should blah, blah. You know, if you're just curious about things, sometimes you can divulge unintentional acts of employees without per being perceived as being punitive. Because I think if you're punitive, I think that doesn't help you really divulge the threats internally. Yes. It, you know, 
I believe that within an insider threat program, right, the encouragement of being able to have open discussions uh, around what something is, is very important. And education is key to this, and company culture is even more key to a successful program. And here's what I mean. Education, we often see as employees, we get, you know, annual training that we have to do. And usually there's more than one throughout a year that we have to do uh, regarding whatever compliance issues there are. But education in this needs to be, in my opinion, needs to be uh, up and across as well. So it needs to be north-south and it needs to be east-west. And what I mean by that is that um, education has to begin at the board of directors about not just how to not fall victim to an insider, but what are the current threats and what are the horizon threats going to be for insiders so they can better prepare. And it flows into the C-suite and across an entire organization. Insiders are not an IT problem. They're not a physical security problem. Uh, they're the entire organization's problem. And quite frankly, they are any organization that touches a company that has to help secure that original organization. So they have to really look across that and understand what are the processes and policies of any other organization with whom they're doing business with. You know, we see um, you know, a tremendous amount of, of opportunity that the external adversaries are using through third parties. Um, and by using that legitimate access that they have through third parties, that's a challenge. Now, as you said, some of these people are unknowing and unwitting. But you also have the, the same issues with access occurring by trusted business partners. And we have done investigations where it's not just you know, a contract or an individual, but it's been the, those that are the security group that are monitoring for insider threats. We've done the Watcher the Watcher programs and found the insider inside of those who are supposed to be watching the insider threat programs. And we've also found it within the C-suite all the way up to the CEO uh, that have been insiders. And it's a really important education piece across that, but it's also just as important uh, that we really try to follow through on understanding what today's and tomorrow's threats are going to be so they can better prepare. Again, it's about access, assets, and visibility. If you don't have the visibility to see assets accessed that are key to your organization with those who have legitimate access, then you're going to have challenges in trying to prevent insider threats. We, you know, most companies, almost all companies have the ability to look for malicious threats. And if there's a malicious executable that comes across, absolutely. That's everyone in every company should be able to do that. But now we're talking about discerning malicious traffic using legitimate access. And that's a growing challenge for security teams. John, do you think security organizations focus on verticals? Oh, this is a physical active shooter threat. We're going to give that to the executive protection group. And you know what? This is cyber over here. And so cyber needs to go to cybersecurity. And while we talk internally among our corporation security departments, I think I'm with you. It's all related to the same thing. It is insider threat for the entire company, breaking out the physical threats from the cyber threats, uh, maybe useful for statistics, 
but I don't think it lets us see the whole picture. And that's and that's exactly where an insider threat program should live, right? So, you know, we believe, Mandy believes that if you have an insider threat program, it should live at at least the CIO level above the CISO. Um, and quite frankly, if it can live a little higher and be a direct report either to the COO or CEO, um, it's very important because those who are leading your insider threat program should also be briefing the board of directors. These threats that exist permeate all of the organizations that go through uh, all the business units when we start talking about information security. But physical security is just as important. And whether that's access or it could be acts of violence, it's under, it's important to have that understanding holistically. And quite frankly, it's very important in today's age that organizations are able to access the intelligence needed to identify threats before they happen. Now, some of this, some organizations accomplish this through monitoring of employees at work. Um, and that is one way of, of doing that. Um, maybe looking at their web traffic and seeing how, um, what they're searching from day to day or hour to hour. But what I'm getting into is how do we discern those who are going to be more likely to cause the greatest danger um, to an organization? Now, from an information security perspective, you know, when we start looking at organized criminal groups, um, or state-sponsored groups that are trying to recruit, they are trying to circumvent those controls that already natively exist within a company, and they're trying to find a way to be able to access and exfil that data without tripping any alarms. Or if they do trip alarms, then there is someone that can be blamed as an insider. And those are really challenging um, uh, pieces of intelligence to gather, and they really need to bring in experts in how to find that. Now, with that being said, um, the other part of it is when you have actions such as, you know, either you're going to dissolve parts of the company and then outsource that, that uh, job to some other company or country. Um, when you have those actions or mergers and acquisitions, you're going to have challenges from a human perspective. Because if you're dissolving a certain section, let's say you're dissolving part of your IT department and you're outsourcing your IT to another uh, company or another country, then you have layoffs are going to occur. Now, for those that have admin rights, that can be very challenging. And quite frankly, Mandiant sees that many organizations have employees that have too much authority within their system. There's too many admins. Within their, uh, within, their, within their networks. And so you have those that are leaving that have the ability to either um, exfil data, access and exfil data, leave back doors for future use, or uh, cause destructive actions within an organization against you know, their software, their backups, what have not. You have those that are going to be brought into the company that have not been typically vetted for long periods of time. So you don't understand their behaviors. You don't understand what their processes. And then you have the third group of employees who are still left at the company wondering, are they going to have a job tomorrow? 
And that human problem becomes an interesting challenge. And for organizations that we, that Bandit has done, um, uh, insider threat security as a service for, um, there's been great attempts to either steal um, intellectual property that they can monetize, create destructive actions. So we're trying to prevent those before they occur. Um, or three, leave back doors for future behaviors, either by themselves or access enabled for other adversaries. And, you know, you can extrapolate that into a physical threat. And as you look at those, could those similar actions in a physical environment occur as well? And what actions are really being done by an organization to prevent those for the employees and the business and the reputation of the business? Let's talk about COVID and how that's changed the paradigm a little bit. So in April of this year, I think there was something like 4 million Americans just quit their jobs. I, I, have, I know some of these people, right? Hey, I'm making more money on unemployment uh, than going to work. That's what I'm going to do, right? This has caused a pretty big spike uh, in problems. How, how do you perceive this as contributing to the insider? In other words, to your point a few minutes ago, if somebody's getting ready to leave the company, because uh, they want to make more money collecting unemployment, uh, you know, maybe on the way out the door, they're going to give the company a little jab because they feel they're being treated unfairly. Have we seen a spike in the insider threat because of COVID? Absolutely, we did. Statistically, some organizations have said that the insider threat incidence has increased by about 47% in the past two years. But the amount of attacks from insider have significantly increased beyond that um, as well. And it came to several problems, right? We certainly saw those that were trying to leave back doors and do destructive behaviors, destroy entire cloud environments and all their backups, essentially ruining a company um, because they were disgruntled when they left and they felt that they had committed some you know, amount of time to a company, they invested themselves and then now they suddenly didn't have a job and they were blaming the employer you know, for a global situation that occurred. And it did become a challenge. It became a gross challenge for um, organizations. We saw an, a drastic increase in insider threat activity that occurred. And it was about either A, being disgruntled or B, trying to monetize. And what we typically saw was that organizations really weren't prepared. When that network boundary got pushed outside of their four walls and it was really pushed into the home, um, or some other place that they didn't have the same controls over the endpoint that they would have necessarily had within a network. They may have had, you know, as an example, they may not have allowed um, access to certain parts of the internet um, in a work environment, but outside where they may have been now working from their own home computer, their home desktop, or they have their desktop also sitting next to their work laptop, that they started working on either how to exfiltrate data or duplicate data. And the duplication of data became very interesting because we started seeing data that might be moved from work email to personal email or moved from um, SharePoint to um, some type of cloud environment such as Dropbox or whoever, right? Um, and then, you know, from those actions, they didn't really have the ability to have visibility to see what was going on, and they didn't have the ability to block that was going on. So 
from a visibility perspective, they had no way to detect. And there was just, you know, a lot more loss of intellectual property that was going on. Printers were as another one. Um, most organizations don't have controls around print jobs. And quite frankly, if you can print or scan or copy, these are great ways to get data out of an organization without leaving an electronic trail. And then it can be uploaded somewhere else. And organizations really didn't take those three uh, situations into mind. It was very quick. Uh, but we still see many organizations who are living in that hybrid world, whether they're coming back to work or they're still going to be working remote, um, to have implemented insider threat solutions to detect those behaviors and block those behaviors so it doesn't damage uh, the reputation of those companies. John, things have certainly changed since I worried about my my iOmega one gigabyte external hard drive. I thought that was the biggest threat back in the back in the nineties, and we've come a long way since then. <laughs> John Ford, Mandy.com, speaking to us about insider threats. Boy, what a change in the paradigm and something we need to pay close attention to. Thank you so much for coming on Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thank you very much for having us, and we look forward to having this discussion further in the future. Willem Ryan is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications for Alert Enterprise. Mr. Willem Ryan, welcome. Security Management Highlights, my friend. Great to be here, John. You know, today's uh, topic is insider threats. If that's not a uh, an oxymoron in a way, right, insider and threat, uh, but, but certainly it's true, I think it's probably our most serious threats. We have all this stuff online. People went home after COVID and the entire world went on the internet and nobody really planned for that or thought about it. We have uh, just general negligence or people making mistakes. All these things kind of add up to insider threats. It's, it's, it's a new world, isn't it? It absolutely is. Um, you hear the word, you know, digital transformation a lot, Chuck, where we've changed in the last couple of years where everything has been digitized. And that's been a great thing, way more efficient, way more convenient. Um, but for organizations, this causes an increase in some of the threats. Now, um, the ability for you know, malicious actors to uh, impact systems um, from a cyber attack to um, being able to bring down operational controls. Um, these are all blended risks now that kind of transfer between domains and it's changed everything. And so now we have to really think about security in a different way, in a more holistic way across all the different domains of cybersecurity, physical security, OT security, and that complicates things, and, and, but it makes it even more urgent than ever before. Well, I love the way you say blended threats because if we have blended threats, we have to blend our security. So in response to today's evolving threats, we are seeing a, a more of a sense of urgency to unify security missions across cyber, OT, physical systems. How does security convergence help organizations with insider threats? Well, Chuck, it, it really changes the approach. Um, you unify the mission of security rather than kind of staying in our standard silos where we really only protect the things that we're responsible for from a cyber perspective or physical. And so now you kind of have this three-dimensional aspect of governance and risk where you're looking at all aspects of risk across the organization and you want to connect all of those things together. Um, how are people accessing the building, but also where are they accessing on the networks and what is impacting potentially 
our industrial or operational controls. And so it's a new approach. And really, this approach gives us new insights and allows security teams to be better prepared for attacks in this kind of digitized world. And so it's an exciting next step uh, for security as we go forward. Well, um, tell me how hybrid and work from home models are impacting insider threats. You know, we kind of think about the word threat as being something nefarious, but really it can just be user error, especially in work from home models. Yeah. I mean, going forward, businesses are going to be a little bit different, right? We're going to have more fluid, dynamic use of offices. And so people are going to go there to collaborate, to have those face-to-face meetings and really have a, a more rich you know, experience when they get to see people. But security is going to change in the sense that it's going to be hard to always recognize who you're in the building with. And so typically, we, we know who we work with. It's consistent. And you might be able to pick up cues of behavior and things that normally can um, tip us off into things that might be a, of a threat. But now working from home or some kind of a hybrid model is going to make that more difficult. So um, those are things that technology and the way that we approach it have to address. Um, Insider threat can also be something that's unintentional, negligence, um, sort of careless behavior that still put the organization at risk. And so that's where you need to have a proactive way, an automated way of dealing with policy enforcement and compliance, especially today with COVID and, and vaccination requirements, et cetera. So you need that type of automation and controls um, to stop people from doing bad things, even when they don't intend to. You know, that's an excellent point. Uh, ransomware, scourge of the earth, right? Outsider threat. You know what? I don't view it that way. I view it as an insider threat caused by human error. What other types of human error could be classified as insider threats that maybe we're not thinking about? Well, you're right. I mean, human error comes with, from a security perspective, education, education of how people should uh, interact and and think about security, um, both at home and in the office. And you mentioned ransomware. So there's a huge push for education about how do we deal with uh, phishing attacks and and ransomware um, types of attacks and in terms of our policy with emails. And so there's technology that helps with that, but there's also just kind of education. The other types of risk from a physical perspective come with how do you um, control people accessing the building? You know, we've talked about in security for a long time in terms of um, sharing um, your ID and your badge cards. Uh, those are, are bad things, tailgating, coming in and out of buildings, um, but also sort of where you're dealing with guests coming in Um, Have you followed all the policies so that we make sure that we know who's in the building uh, at what time and where? And this is going to become even more difficult uh, with this hybrid approach uh, to working in offices and working at home. Tell me what next step our security leaders should take in addressing these insider threats in their organization. I think there might be a tendency to look at this from a punitive point of view, right? That's kind of a traditional way. You violated a policy, and but really... Going back to your point, it is all about education, isn't it? It is, Chuck. Um, You really hit on a good point in the sense that insider threat could be actually viewed in a different way going forward. Uh, We could use this as an opportunity to think about it as insider care, where we're looking at this from a human perspective, a human-centric approach, where education, um, support, mental health support, um, those are all things about how do we ensure that people feel that they belong, 
that they understand and are buying into the security mission for the organization, and that they feel connected um, to where they work and who they're working with. If we can prevent insider threat from happening by ensuring that they're supported, that's going to be a huge win for any organization. But of course, we still have people who are going to be doing things regardless uh, of what kind of support we give them. And so that's where technology still needs to come in, automate those technologies to be able to detect when something might be happening, either a policy um, uh, enforcement issue or an actual, uh, you know, security violation that we must address. So those are two things that we must do. And security leaders, first thing is collaborate, bridge building, go and talk to the CISO from the CSO department. Make sure you're talking to HR. This is a people issue that we're dealing with. And talk to legal and compliance. What are the things that are driving um, the business value and the things that are important to protecting the business and bring those all together in a way that help unify the organization from a security and risk perspective. Excellent, excellent stuff, my friend. Willem Ryan, talk about insider threats. Better stated, insider care. Brilliant. Really a good way to state it. Thanks so much for coming on Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thanks, Chuck, for having me. Emily May is the co-founder and executive director of iHollaback.org, a global people-powered movement to end harassment in all its forms. Ms. Emily May, welcome to Security Management Highlights, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You do bystander intervention and conflict de-escalation training. Now, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about this stuff today because I, I come from this world in the law enforcement side, and I'd be very interested to get your perspectives on what's happening, how this subject is evolving. For people that might not understand this or might not be in this field, give me an operational definition of bystander intervention. Yeah. So bystander intervention is really simply, what do you do as a bystander um, when you see hate, harassment, abuse happening? Um, oftentimes we'll see these things happening online, at work, um, in public spaces, right? How do you show up into that? But I think more importantly than just how do you show up into that, how do you do that in a way that's safe? And so Hollaback has the five D's of bystander intervention, five different strategies for intervene intervening when you see hate or harassment happening. Um, and in those five D's, only four, four of them are actually indirect. So don't involve um, directly interfacing with the person who is being aggressive in those moments. Only one of them is direct intervention. Um, so we actually train tons of people. In fact, um, only in the first six months of this year, we've trained 150,000 people in bystander intervention. It's not something that you need to be a security professional to know by any stretch of the imagination. The idea is that actually anybody can do this thing. But it's good for security professionals to know it too, right? Because there's safe ways that you can show up into these moments. Break down the five Ds for me. Yeah, so the first one is distract, creating a distraction to de-escalate the situation. Um, so, you know, you may think about starting a conversation about something unrelated with the person being harassed um, as a security guard, like, hey, like, why don't you come over here to my desk? I need to see your ID again, right? Just pulling them out of that scenario. Um, it could also be something disruptive, like, um, you know, uh, setting off an alarm or creating some sort of uh, moment, like dropping your coffee, for example, just to create a break in that moment to de-escalate the situation. So that's distract. 
The next one is delegate. Now this is where you guys come in in the security space because oftentimes when people think about delegating, they're gonna think about coming to you all first. Um, this also is a challenge, right? Because then you gotta figure out, all right, well, what do I do with it? Um, but delegate can also mean, you know, reaching out to a peer. Um, so of course that can mean, you know, the person sitting right next to you. Um, it can mean a friend, right? It can mean somebody that you've never met before. Um, it's just about getting other people on your team so that you're not doing this alone. The third one is document. So we've seen a ton of documentation happen when it comes to addressing, you know, human rights abuses in the past 10 or so years, probably longer. Um, what I will say with document, though, is two things. One, you want to make sure somebody's doing something else first. You don't just want to pull out your camera and record somebody's ongoing abuse with no other intervention. And two, you want to actually give that footage to the person who is experiencing the harassment, leaving them in choice on how they show up next, whenever possible, right? The fourth one is delay. Super simple. Every single person, their mother, can do this one. It's simply the check-in. I saw what happened. Are you okay? Can I help? A lot of times harassment's quick. This is the only option that we have. But even if you freeze, you don't take action in the moment, that check-in means a lot to people. And our research with Cornell University shows as little as a knowing glance can reduce trauma when it comes to harassment. The last one is the one that I mentioned that actually is direct, and it is very appropriately called direct. <laughs> um, this one, though, um, you know, a lot of folks come into this assuming that direct is about, you know, heroically showing up into this moment or telling the person off who's being abusive. Um, in fact, that's not it at all. It's about really firmly setting that boundary. This is inappropriate. You need to step away from her. And then turning your attention to that person who's experiencing that hate, that harassment, that abuse, and checking in on them. Very similar to delay, right? You don't want to give more energy to that person doing the harassing than you need to. Now, granted, these five tactics, so we've got um, distract, delegate, document, delay, and direct, can be used by anybody. As security guards, you may see others using, using them as well, um, but I think they can also be adapted you know, into other spaces as well um, and into your workflows as well. So I'm interested to hear what you think about that. Um, and if you agree with me or if you're just like, no, this is not our job. This is not the way that we show up. <laughs> Well, uh, as the French say, everything old is new again. So there are a lot of components here you're bringing in that are being used today or have been used in the past. And you're kind of putting them under one tent here. And, and, and I like that approach. For, uh, for example, in security, we have deter and delay, right? So we want to slow somebody down. We want to delay them so they don't commit a crime or an act that's against policy or something like that. So very similar techniques. Those work. And one thing we, we have is the basis of all security, or it's supposed to be the basis, is the basic function of a security officer is to observe and report. A little different than police, and the police is a response model. It's not a really protection model. So if I'm to observe and report, how can I translate this bystander intervention or conflict escalation? How can I translate that into a security guard's observe and report duties? i got to be able to mix it in there so I'm not, you know, I don't want to touch people. I'm not uh, Sergeant York. I'm not throwing the handcuffs on you. i got to be able to persuade yeah, and if I was to iterate that model, it would, in regards to bystander intervention, it would be observe, report, and be human, right? Which means that, you know, observe and report, yes, right? That is actually 
some of the things we talk about in bystander intervention. When we talk about document, you know, many people think about their phone, but obviously just taking a, you know, a, a photo or remembering the details in your mind is a component of that. When we talk about delegate, oftentimes we're talking about, you know, reporting that to somebody else to get somebody else to deal with that. But there are other things that you can do in the mix as well, right? Um, including just honestly checking in on that person who's experiencing um, that abuse at the time. Um, think about some of those distraction models that I talked about of like, hey, can you come over here so I can check your ID again? I just have a couple questions, right? Just getting them out of the scenario, um, that's just being human, right? That's not anything much more than that. That's something that all of us can do. Um, even, you know, in those moments where you do need to clearly set that boundary, hey, this isn't appropriate, I need you to leave, right? Being human and turning your attention back to that person experiencing that abuse and checking in on them. Um, and I think that's the piece that, um, you know, everybody wants to see in their security guards because that's really what makes people feel safe when they feel cared for. I 100% agree. And if we go way back in time and look at any conflict and resolution, Resolution eventually ends up with empathy. If you don't have empathy on both sides, there's going to be no resolution. And identifying empathy and, and acting in empathy, not sympathy, because it's a different thing, right? I have to emotionally identify. That's super important. Now, let's talk about the difference between bystander intervention and conflict de-escalation. There's a little difference, isn't there? Distinguish those for me. Our conflict de-escalation model is really built for civilians. Um, what I would say is that the, the methodology itself, super simple, observe, exact same parallel as what you were talking about, right? Watching what's going on. Um, the second piece is breathe. So in this breathe section, right, we're really advising people to take a second to ground themselves, to be safe. Um, as many of you may know, the Marines, for example, have tons of practices, including box breathing, for example, to ground themselves, to become uh, really prepared for this moment. And what we talk about with you know folks in our training is assessing, am I the right person actually to intervene in this moment? Is there something that could put me at increased risk? Is there something that's physically dangerous about this, right? And being okay if you're not the right person, because then you can move back to some of those bystander intervention tactics and start to, uh, you know, find somebody else who is the right person, create distractions, et cetera. The next piece of this we call connect. Um, and so the connection um, is tricky. I like to think of the connection piece of this puzzle as like Gandhi, Buddha level work, because um, you really, uh, no matter what kind of nonsense this person is spewing, what kind of hatred, no matter how much you vehemently disagree with them, no matter how much what they are saying actually feels like it chips away at your own sense of humanity or safety in the world, you kind of got to give them a little space to uh, let it out. You don't want to agree with them or pacify them in any kind of way, but you do want to tell them that you hear them and that you understand the emotion. You understand that they are angry or they are scared or they are whatever it is, right? You can understand the emotion without agreeing with the actual thoughts. Um, and creating that little bit of space, most people who are in ex escalated points of conflict, we find, are there because they're not feeling seen or heard. Now, granted, that probably has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the rest of their lives, 
But when people aren't feeling seen and heard and we show up and actually see and hear them, even if we think they're dead wrong, it tends to naturally de-escalate folks a little bit. Um, so that's our approach. Observe, breathe, connect. Emily May, iHollowback.org. Excellent, excellent conversation. We could go on a long time about this, and I think maybe we should have another conversation because there's so many I levels. I love that. Thank you yeah. so much. This so has many... been wonderful and really, really exciting to, to have this conversation in these new new spaces, and I'm excited to see how the field evolves. Thanks so much for coming on uh, Security Management Highlights. Thanks so much for having me. This episode of Security Management Highlights has been brought to you by Alert Enterprise. Visit them at alertenterprise.com.